Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Jim Gale, and he has a whole lot to say on restructuring our misused land for the bell being of the planet thank you for coming on jim well thank you gary it's great to be on your show and and sharing this very logical way forward with you and everybody listening um i'll frame it by saying victor hugo's quote there's one thing stronger than all of the armies of the world and that is an idea whose time has come and I'd like to unpack that a little bit because all of the armies, the governmentes, govern means manager control and mente means mind. All of the armies of the world who are controlled by the governmentes are what we have to be aware of right now. And we have to inspire the people in these armies to do what's right for the masses, right? And so the idea whose time has come implies that the idea already exists and it sure does. In fact, it's mm -hmm. the most ancient idea ever. It's the idea of regenerative landscapes. And I'm not a religious person, I'm a very spiritual person, but this idea of the Garden of Eden is the idea whose time has come, which simply means food growing everywhere. And this is what has been, well, the PSYOP, the mind control has gotten us so far away from what's natural and regenerative and healthy that we're bringing that back and it's going around the world very fast. That is awesome. Um, so let's kind of start from the beginning. Like, why haven't we been doing this all along? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Henry Kissinger said back 50 years ago, he said, if you want to control nations, control oil. If you want to control people, control food. If you want to control the world, control the world's currency. Well, there's a great document, very detailed, called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And it details the whole PSYOP that's going on now. And there's many other documents to do as well. So when he said that, when Kissinger said that, those were the ramblings of a psychopath. That was the strategy of a psychopath. And there's a big difference there hmm. because he was in charge of implementing the strategy. He met with every president. Why would some guy who runs the Council on Foreign Relations be meeting with U.S. presidents so prominently? Who's he? Well, he's the guy that's in control of, of most of the things with his, well, these families that have been controlling the world, backing him up every step of the way. So it's essentially like what we would sometimes refer to as the Illuminati. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't really know a lot about the different names. of. I know the Rothschilds and the mm -hmm. Rockefellers. I mean, these these families are very clearly in control. If you step back and look at the history of things, you know, back 400 years ago, uh, Rothschild said, my kids are going to go across the corners of the globe and we are going to control the world's currency. The currency is the stored value of the energy of the people, the productivity of the people. 
And then 200 years later, uh, Mayor Rothschild said in England, he said, I care not which puppet sits on the throne when I control its currency. And then you go back to today and the same families are, are behind the scenes running the whole thing as they always have. But this is the Great Awakening. We are starting to become aware of this fact. So they're trying to maintain control. And the only way, or at least all paths to freedom, have to include self-reliance. And when we can make self-reliance easy and fun and joyful on every level, then it just becomes the next logical step for society. Interesting. So, so let's uh, jump into the self-reliance. How do we achieve that? How do we break this cycle? Well, there's 40 million acres of lawn just in the United States alone. And when we turn 30, 40, 50 percent of that lawn, which is the most, well, it's the biggest scam ever on a physical level, mm -hmm. is a lawn. And that's part of the PSYOP is to control the food supply. So when we turn 30, 40, 50 percent of that lawn into regenerative edible landscapes or food forests, then we become free from the dis-ease and disease. As a result of doing this, we will reverse mass extinction and deforestation and cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all of the forms of, of tyranny and control simply by doing what's best for us, and that's using our resources and our land wisely. So how do we implement that? Like, like should people just dig up their lawns and plant orange trees or something? Well, if it, so if you want to go to Lowe's or Home Depot or your local nursery, even better, and you want to buy five or six um, berry bushes and fruit trees and put them in the ground, you're probably going to have some success. You might have wild success depending on the quality of your soil. But when you design it according to permaculture principles, and permaculture is the science uh, developed by Bill Molson and um, David Holmgren and many, many more, uh, many decades ago, a couple generations ago, they started this science. So people have been coming together from all around the world and all the zones and adding bits of wisdom and knowledge over the last 50, 60 years. And this science proves beyond a shadow of a doubt everything that I'm saying to be true. My job is to bring it to the masses in a way that's scalable, right? Because I've got four mm -hmm. daughters and unless we have to, <laughs> we get to do this. This is the biggest transition in the history of our world from radically unsustainable and all unsustainable systems fail, which is death, um, to radically regenerative and abundant. So to answer your question, it starts with design. If you want to get the most yield, the most benefits with the lowest maintenance, then you design it according to permaculture principles. And, and how does that begin? Like, like, how do you come up with a design for a particular yard in different types of environments because obviously the same foods are not all going to grow in the same places um different places are going to have different types of soil um different um variations of light throughout the year um how, how do you take all of that and make it into a working system i love it um so we have attracted a team of 20 now pretty soon it'll be 25 27 permaculture designers these are professional food forest designers who have who have really transformed their lives into helping people be free and grow food and they look at all the different um, components and elements that you are in your system the backyard designs are relatively easy because most backyards are flat lawn or maybe they've got a slight slope on them so we take what's there and we design in whatever plants that are um, 
thrive in that agricultural zone, number one. That's the most important thing. Now, there have been people like Sepp Holzer who are growing lemon trees in the Austrian Alps where it's impossible to grow lemon trees, according mm. to most people. But yet he's doing it with lemons on them. So there are ways, but basically we like to stick with agricultural zones and what plants thrive in that area. And this is where it's mind-blowing. Most people can name five or six fruits that thrive in their area when there are actually thousands of fruits. And this is part of the long-term PSYOP, the military campaign that has taken this information out of society so we're not aware that all real medicine comes from nature. It doesn't come from a lab with a patent on it. Right? And when you eat healthy foods, you don't need medicine. Medicine is something for unhealthy and diseased people. Mm -hmm. When you just eat foods that aren't grown with poisons in a way that's in alignment with natural systems and how you feel, then the, the future that I imagine, because this is taking hold so fast, is one of complete abundance. Wow. That's incredible. Um, you know, like, I, for example, I live in, well, I live in New Jersey now. And, like, you know, like New Jersey, they, you know, the average garden stuff is going to be like, Tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, zucchini, squash, um, things like that. Um, and I'm sure there's more stuff that grows here than that. Um, Thousands more. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, 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 for example, like what would be a really good yielding type of um, garden to have in this environment? So... When we talk about gardens, a lot of people imagine annual crops like the ones you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But there are so many perennial crops that actually create a food forest that you could plant. And if you plant it correctly, then you could leave it forever. And you could literally your grandkids could go visit that site where you planted and you would have a food forest there, a mature, thriving food forest. And these are I'll share the difference between annuals and perennials. Annuals are plants that you plant, you harvest, and then you take a seed from the harvest and you plant again. Now, what some of these crazy people are doing is trying to create plants that the seeds are not viable. They cannot produce a new plant. And what does that do? Well, that's a lot more profits and control for them, right? So perennials, where you plant uh, some apple trees and some plums and some peaches and some pears and 10, 15 different types of berries, gooseberries and raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and boysenberries, all in one area. And you create a community of plants with your legumes in the ground and your beneficial insect attractors, your flowers that attract. In fact, I was at Galt's yesterday and uh, where we're developing an off-grid community. And there's all these big honeybees sleeping in the flowers of a Myers lemon tree at dusk. And mm -hmm. I got video of it. To me, it's just mind blowing. These sentient beings that are there. They're our army. They're our protectors and feeders of our army. And what do we do with them in our society? We kill them. We poison them. We do all these crazy things when they're the most beneficial thing to kill the parasites and produce food that we have. Hmm. Interesting. You know, when you're talking about, like, I think about my, my grandfather, he moved here from. Italy when he was a, a young kid and God, he, I mean, he had like the biggest garden I had ever seen and, and he would grow certain things all year long, like, like mushrooms. He would grow his own mushrooms in, in his little box. He had, um, he, yeah. I mean, he grew all kinds of stuff. Awesome. Um, 
I don't even know if the guy ever even purchased food. You know, he was like a true, you know, outdoorsman, grew all his own stuff. And, and I always found it fascinating. Like he even had a goat for milk. Um, wow. You know, and we're so far from that now. And it hasn't been, you know, that long. Where, like, I don't know, maybe it was his culture back then, you know. He, he was just raised that way. Um but compared to the way we are now, just eating, you know, fast food and, and things like that. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Things were just natural. Yeah. Yeah. And we were healthier at yeah. every level and so many levels. And so I'm going to share just like, let's take one fruit tree. If you're in an area where apples or peaches or plums, just take your favorite fruit tree and imagine that that has like, let's say a circumference of, uh, 25 feet mm -hmm. most people just have the one fruit tree but if you take that fruit tree and you you design around it you design the comfries and the legumes and the four or five berry bushes and then you can even put some annuals down in the mulch underneath the fruit tree now that community all serves a function and in that same area with literally no maintenance once you install it correctly it's just a harvest mm -hmm. And you can increase the yield by doing pruning and things like that. But you can literally not do anything and still get a lot of food. So now in one area of one fruit tree, you've got 10 or 12 different food producers all working symbiotically to produce a massive yield with no energy in. That's pretty wild. So how does that work? Like, like, there's like say the, you have a fruit tree and you're not going to use all the fruit from it. So some of it's going to fall on the ground and rot. Does that like rotting fruit like replenish the soil to allow the, the berries and nuts and other things to grow? Absolutely. It feeds the worms. The worms come up and eat the rotting fruit. They go down into the soil and they leave their worm castings, which is one of nature's best nutrients. And that cycle just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. Let's say you take all the harvest and you go in and you take all the cores and you have your compost. You then throw your compost in a bucket that is buried with holes in it right in that area. Mm -hmm. And the worms will come into that bucket, eat the compost, and then go out and feed the plants. It's, it's a natural cycle. Everything about permaculture is mimicking source, mimicking what we've been uh, given here on this amazing planet. Wow. It's the complete opposite of what we do now. Like we, we, yeah. grow, we grow a crop, we, we, we tear up the field, leave it sit for eight months, and then plant another crop. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And that's why this whole thing, we launched eight months ago, and it is going awesome around the world. We're now in about 16 or 17 different countries. We're serving 44 different states, and we're probably the fastest growing cooperative ever that I've ever heard of anyway. Um, we've got like 75 co-ops and a cooperative are the people that are on the ground actually putting the food in the ground. Mm -hmm. It's like a landscaping business, except for it's foodscaping. It's way hyper beneficial on every level. And it's also profitable like landscaping. So we're turning this idea of capitalism as the problem. We're turning it into regenerative capitalism as opposed to the violence and force of socialism, communism and showing that this is how we change the world by providing value for people and then getting an exchange of value. Hmm. But once everybody has your product though, 
then there's no more need for your service, though. Yes. <laughs> and you have yes, to go exactly. do something else. <laughs> we want to be done in 20 years. We, we have an unsustainable business model in that regard, in that we're like a homeopathic doctor. We're going we're gonna to fix it, and in 20 years from now, we're done. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like com- that's, the, that's the complete opposite of what <laughs> we do yeah. as a society. It's the complete opposite. It's regeneration on every level. And one of the things that we're committed to, in fact, my primary investor, he's a lion. He's a champion of freedom to the max. He's all over the world. He's very wealthy and successful. And he's funding these freedom movements all over. He heard about what we're doing and he, he put millions of dollars in. And he said, Jim, I don't care about making money. And I don't care about making money. I care about freedom. Freedom is the ultimate. That's what we make money for is so we can have more freedoms. So we're going to be and we are putting our extra energy back into the system. And then we're videoing that and we're showing what that's like, like at schools and food banks and churches. And then that becomes inspiring for more. And so it's like a hurricane that's starting up that's just going everywhere. So this could end hunger. Oh, global hunger is such an easy thing to end if you just follow these natural principles. Um. Like giving like what one of the things too I was watching a video about like what got you started into this. Can you talk a little bit about that yeah. and, and how you how this could end hunger and I mean, one of the things though that's interesting about those, well first to answer, answer that question then I have more okay. for you. I love it. Um, so it was about fourteen years ago. I had uh, started a mortgage company when I was like thirty years old, and by the time I was thirty five, I sold it. Did about one point three billion dollars in, in sales. I bought a boat, lived on the ocean for a year, and I had a lot of time. And at that same time, I had my first two daughters, which made me look at the world from a completely different lens, a more long-term perspective, asking the question, what's the world going to be like for my daughters and my grandkids? And at the same time, I learned like the Building 7 thing. I learned all, I went way down all the rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. And I learned that we're destroying our world with poisons and ignorance rapidly. And so I started going through the fear phase of learning, this frustration, this cognitive dissonance, this what can we do? And I spent about two years to eight to 12 hours a day studying the problem. And I like breaking things down to the lowest common denominator. The problem is very clearly governmental. We do not need wars. We do not need the fear and the control that the mind control people put on us, the stealing of our energy and our wealth. What we need instead is to raise our vibrations and to have consciousness, awareness. And this is the apocalypse, which means the great reveal, the unmasking. This is the great awakening. So it's all coming together in a divine way. Um, And I guess to answer the question is I'm motivated for my daughter's sake. Hmm. That's my primary. I'll, I love life too, <laughs> but that's my primary. Um, one of the things that, that like you know, if, if for freedom, you know, yeah. freedom is dangerous because freedom really is anarchy. You know, freedom means. <laughs> It says what anarchy isn't by large right. rules, but keep keep going. But 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 anarchy is the biggest threat to the government. You know, I mean, anarchy is a real viable solution to a lot of things, in my opinion. I've grew up during the seventies and eighties and listened to all the punk bands, you know, and you know, 
I, I grew I just grew up like an anarchist. Never really liked the idea of one man ruling over, over another. You know, I I, th I think we can get things done more efficiently without that um, hierarchy model. Um, Especially but, with the design, but mm -hmm. keep going. But, but, you know, one of the things like, you, you, you're doing, like getting people to be self-sustainable and to truly be free, you're toppling the power structure. Yeah. Without guns, without war, without any of that stuff, literally just turning our energy from this authoritative thing. I don't want anybody to be the author of my story, right? The word anarchy literally means an is without and, and archy is rulers, right? Mm -hmm. So without government. So anarchy is simply no government, no authors of our stories. So when we learn that we can be the authors of our own stories, of our own lives, that we don't, in fact, it's so clear what the governments have done over time when you step back from it and you look where the funding is, where the money is, where the control is, that it's just, I have such high hopes for the future now because there's no stopping this idea. Once it takes root and it's taking root rapidly, it will be demonstrably loving and joyful and abundant. And that's, that's what's so magical about this. Almost every one of the people that are doing food for us around the world with us or with other entities, they're demonstrators. They, they not only want to produce their own food, but they also want to show people how easy it is. So this is, boom, it's happened. Mm -hmm. But what do you, what do, you do um, when governments start pushing back? Because they're not we, just going to let that happen. They're not going to be like, oh, okay, we're just going to let everybody go now and do their own thing. It's this is why it's an inspired movement. It is a movement, a voluntary movement where the people see a path forward. I have doctors and many people call me up daily, actually, um, where they're like, Jim, I this is the first time in two years where I see a positive future because they can see a path forward. And so together and thank you for exposing me to your audience and stuff, sh shining a light on the path forward is what we get to do and have more of, and that will raise people's energy because the number one control tool of these wicked tyrants is fear. Mm -hmm. When we can raise up to faith and courage and see a path and take steps towards that freedom, then it's just, it's like, like Victor Hugo said, this is the idea whose time has come. Interesting. You know, um, I guess too, like, you know, I mentioned my grandfather earlier, you know, like he never answered to anybody, you know what I mean? He was like the original anarchist. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> um, but it's, it's also going to take, uh, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine. Like, like they're not going to step aside. Well, first let me ask you a couple of questions. Because when it comes to anarchism and self-sufficiency and, and, and self-sustaining communities and things like that, People will always ask two questions. One is if if there's anarchy, uh, or, or or we get rid of the government and, and all this, the existing system, well, people will just run around and murder each other. <laughs> there's always that one, and then the other one is <laughs> I always find this other second one stupid. But who's going to build the bridges and the roads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, this is so if we look at the deaths caused over the last hundred years, I would say 
besides people who died of natural causes, 90% of them died because of government. I'm talking about the wars, the mm -hmm. cancer, the diabetes, sure. the heart disease. None of these things are logical in the world that we are bringing to, to light. When people eat healthy food, they're going to die of natural causes more often than not. Right? And all of these things are part of the food chain, the food pyramid, and the government way of um, mandating poisons in our water, in our skies, in our air, everywhere, in our soil. Um, these are the destructive things. So when you look at, like, I'll give you an example. People are scared of spiders and snakes. Spiders and snakes kill 11 people per year out of 330 million people in the United States, right? 11 total combined. How many people does cancer and diabetes and heart disease kill? And, and why do we have those? Because of the poisons that we are promoted to use to kill what we call the pests. What we call the pests, spiders take out 500 million metric or 500 metric tons. It's just an astronomical number of insects out of our system per year of parasites and mosquitoes and so on. <laughs> right? So they are the solution. Snakes are the solution. Wasps are the solution. Right? But we've been demonizing these incredible mm -hmm. partners of ours, these garden protectors, and in place of them, using poisons that kill everything. Right. I guess what concerns me is, so you, we start this movement, we, we, we change, you change people's thinkings, you give them new ideas, okay? And then the government all of a sudden, and certain families are, are, are threatened by it. What is to stop them from becoming like the Nazis and just going through, rounding up all these um, people that are trying to live in eco-friendly, self-sustaining communities and killing them? Numbers. Numbers is what does it. And the energy, right? There's something magical about what's happening in the way that Right now, if something happened to me, I've been on 25 podcasts, several stages and TV shows and things are all happening. It's going to radically explode my message around the world. And I think that there's an awareness of that. So they're trying to destroy and cause harm and death faster than we can wake people up to the light. There is a divergence of mindsets right now. Right. One is Absolutely. completely controlled like a stormtrooper. And the other one is becoming free and then asking questions. How do I really be free? And those people that fight the system, but yet they're completely reliant on the system. We want to help them see that to really fight the system, we don't have to fight. We have to simply turn our energy away from the system. We have to take our energy out of that system That's that true. enslaves us. Absolutely. Do you ever, have you heard from somebody inside the system that wants to help you? Man, I love your questions. They're very thoughtful. Um, so what I am, what I'm experiencing, what's happening is many people that believe in the climate change narrative, which is just part of the control grid. They believe so deeply in it when they see that what I'm talking about, even though they believe in that narrative is actually a solution to that narrative as well. Right. I mean, when we grow food and, and it's farm to table is 150 feet instead of 1,500 miles, 
the amount of resource saving that that is astronomical, right? When you can walk outside and you pick fruit instead of buying the plastic and the containers and the expense, and now you don't have plastics going into the landfills. When all of it, this literally solves every narrative that's out there, and it's, it, that's why it's impossible to fight it. That, that is cool, man. It, it's really cool. And I, I wonder, too, you know, you, you, you know, I do a lot of episodes on um, raising people, raising vibration, raising consciousness, raising awareness, um, you know, just sort of like upping the human condition a notch to to our true potential because yeah. we're not living our at our fullest, you know. Um, I, I just got done earlier this morning doing a, a episode with my co-host Jared Murphy, and Jared always uses this analogy that that human beings are like in a safe mode. We're like walking around and asleep for some reason, yeah. and we're starting to come out of that sleep mode. Um, do, would you agree with any of that? Oh, it's the it's the great awakening, and it's so freaking exciting. Yes, it's happening. And it's inspiring when somebody sees somebody who's living an inspired life, feeling good and in joy and pleasure and in service, understanding that the ultimate service is love and that love is a selfish feeling. Like uh, when people start aligning with, I can do good because it's good for me, then it's just so logical to do it. it when we realize that the best thing I could ever do for myself and my family and my world is live a self-reliant and happy lifestyle. Then people go, oh my gosh. And then that's what they start to do. So then we start bringing some of those people out of the dark. You know, the only reason a big percentage of quote smart people that go to, went to school, which are really just more programmed than the rest of us, mm -hmm. um, that they're going along with this is they believe that we have to depopulate the earth. They don't realize that when I'm talking about, there's literally no limit to the number of people we could have on this planet if we use our resources in a regenerative manner. Has um, any other cultures been an inspiration you know, to you? Because like, for example, um, like, like, like monasteries, Buddhism, you know, or they're, they're, they're self-sustaining communities um, or, or different um, indigenous people of like you know yeah. the amazon and south america well, so this is a picture of me when i went to kenya and oh, i lived awesome. with the maasai um and they were an amazing people they were happy family oriented mm -hmm. they just loved life and um they didn't their working was to wander around and they did farming and they knew where to find roots and tubers and they they had an amazing lifestyle of just joy and community so yes, I lived in Chiang Mai for a short time, um, and I did a lot of things in different places, visited about 47 different countries, all learning about what's, what the cultures have to offer. And I love culture. The diversity is where the different wisdom comes from. And we, I want to do our best to retain those cultures around what makes sense. You know, a lot of times it's weather related. Mm -hmm. Some cultures, are going to need to prepare. Like in Minnesota, we're on time more than we are. I lived in Costa Rica for 12 years. They don't even know what time is in Costa Rica <laughs> because <laughs> there's food everywhere. They're like, ah, we'll do a manana, which just means not today, right? It could be six years from now. <laughs> um, 
But in Minnesota, you got to harvest in the fall and you got to plan for winter. So there's so many different unique things about culture and how we think about and relate to time and everything else. Hmm. So which one was the most inspirational to you that you visited? Oof, um, man, they're different inspirations. The Maasai, because um, just to be immersed in that and, and seeing how they lived, you know, their houses were made of sticks with cow manure and mud. And, you know, in the dry season, my eyes were watering with the methane smell. I, I wasn't there in the rainy season, and I was kind of thankful for that. Um, but yet they were so happy. And, and then, you know, visiting um, Japan and, and Hong Kong and just seeing the different ways people interact. And the people that are closer to nature are happier all around the world. Did you go to Burma? I did not. No, I heard it's beautiful. Though. Well, Nepal? No, I, I, Nepal, Tibet, those are places I'm, I'm very eager to go to someday. Awesome. Um, when you, like, like, I'm always fascinated by, by somebody, um, by the, the, um, these cultures because in some ways, like, we've been taught to look at them as, like, primitive, but in a lot of ways, they're way more advanced. <laughs> yes, and that's part of the psyop. That's part of what governments do. They want to separate us. They they always every war starts by naming the enemy as the bad person, as the as the people that wants us dead, and to create that division and fear. When we when we if we step back and just look at hey, who's happy? Who's living a sustainable, regenerative, happy life? That's a whole nother question. And then we can see it differently. Um, we actually, I was a wrestler growing up and had the great opportunity to have the Russian wrestling team come to Minnesota. And we were their chaperones mm -hmm. around Minnesota for about three or four days. And they had the KGB people there with them watching everything. They would never get in pictures and they were just watching everything for defectors. Like it was really interesting to me. But what I loved about these people is they're just us. Just, and before that, the Russians were the communist enemy. I was like 12 years old. Yeah. And I'm like, the Russians, the communists are coming. Holy <laughs> shit, what will they be like? They partied better than we did. <laughs> they had a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how about the, 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 the mixing of uh, herbal medicine and spiritual? like the rituals of, of some of these uh, like ayahuasca ceremonies or some of the sh shamanic uh, techniques of healing where they, they use the medicinal things of, of plants and things like that. And also, you know, connected with the spiritual side too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I believe, you know, pretty much from the, like those cultures, like they don't really see a separateness. They see, the vibration of the plant as what's actually healing the individual rather than a chemical compound. Um, have, have you investigated any of that? Very much. It's changed my life. Um, I've been in uh, six or seven ayahuasca ceremonies with shamans, several different shamans, and every one of those experiences was enlightening, to say the least. I think they call it an entheogenic concoction, right, to be entheo. And um, the people with me, an average of maybe 15 to 20 people with me at these different events, mm -hmm. everybody with me 
said they were glad they did it. There were two guys who were really stoned and they said, I didn't really feel anything. Other than that, every single person that was part of these events were thankful that they did it. And many of them, it absolutely radically changed their lives in a positive way. Um, yesterday, I, I had uh, mushrooms. Um, I went and meditated for the day at Gauls Landing, this off-grid community. And mm-hmm. I just visualized and I sat there with nature and I was walking around looking at the food forest and seeing the bees sleeping in the flowers of the citrus trees, all these magical things. And I, I, was, it, I was observing how the protectors that I mentioned earlier, yeah. the wasps were down there eating the bugs that were on the sweet potato plants. The bugs, if you let them proliferate, they'll eat all the sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. So the wasp is my best friend. He's protecting my food supply, right? And so most people kill the wasp. Anyway, so so many neat things come from these concoctions that have been made illegal by the government. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things too, like cannabis, marijuana, it, it has so many uses and it's been used prior to being illegal, coming illegal, you know, for all sorts of things. Is that one of the things that you include in your um, gardens? It, yeah, we love to include that. A lot of times we're not able to include that because of this bullshit. Um, the government rules from the rulers, the, um, the psychopaths, that intentionally. Now, this whole story, too, and I'm sure you know it, people, this is where sometimes you get into a democratic mind by mm-hmm. saying, okay, you're for marijuana. Most Democrats are for cannabis. And when you say, okay, so what happened to cannabis and who was responsible for it? And it was the cotton industry and the medical industry, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers and some other entities that got together and said, let's put a smear campaign on the most beneficial plant and medicine in the freaking history of the world, at least one of the most used. And so they got rid of hemp, which was the dollar bills and the constitution and the ropes and clothes <laughs> like they got rid of that because it looked like something that they actually changed the name from cannabis which everybody drank and used regularly right a lot of people did and they changed the name to marijuana and then they blamed it on the mexican culture right because they there was a the, the economy was going bad gotta blame and somebody so they, it's crazy and how did they do it well they engaged the church and they called it the devil's lettuce they engaged Hollywood and they had a movie called Reefer Madness. I remember right? that. They engaged the government and said, just say no. It's just, it's when you look at how it all came together and then you look at who's controlling the same systems now, it's the same families. It's the same. It's absolutely insane. It's funny, um, though, cannabis is actually one of the things that I really think is a turning point yeah. for us as a culture. Because you mentioned like you know how like Democrats are sort of or for it, and, and you know obviously the Republicans would have been against it. However, you know I, I just moved. I, I lived in Alabama for five years and moved up here back to New Jersey recently. But in Alabama, even they are pushing for legalization of cannabis because they know they can make a shitload of money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know they can make more money off of that than they can off of cotton. Right. Right. Uh. It's pretty amazing. And the studies that come out, I mean, every human has an endocannabinoid system, which the doctors in Israel just found out in the 80s. We have a system that is meant to receive this incredible compound and that helps center us at times and helps alleviate pain and helps increase wellness and joy. 
you know, microdosing is just phenomenal. Um, I, I got mushrooms and cannabis for microdosing. And, you know, when I want to get a lot done and focus, you just have a tiny bit, not enough to have any hallucinogenic effects, but it's, it's, to me, it's better than coffee. And I definitely don't drink any poisons or Cokes or anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, used to drink plenty of that before I was awake. And I also like to share that wake up story too, because you know, it helps people when, when I, when I, I didn't always know this stuff. I frick, I was a sheep. When Obama first got elected, I had tears of joy. I thought he was a good guy, right? Then he won the Nobel Peace Prize and I was so happy. But I was confused. I'm like, wait a minute. He hasn't even done anything yet. Why did he win this freaking prize, right? <laughs> and then he went and leveled whole cultures, bombed the shit out of them. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then that was the impetus, my catalyst. I went mm-hmm. in and I started looking at the major funders and donors for Obama and McCain. And two of the top five donors for each of those psychopaths were the same companies. <laughs> Goldman Sachs and all these big freaking companies. <laughs> what a scam! It's always what it is. It's always like, uh, you know, like like you know, Sachs and Goldman and um, Wells Fargo and, and these companies have been around for as long as our country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the families that run them are the same families. BlackRock and Vanguard run the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy that 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 no matter that that these guys we vote for are being all supported by the same companies anyway, so it doesn't really make a difference anyway. It's, it's just a farce. Yeah, it is. You know, like when I see yeah. people fighting over politics, it's like you're not even really fighting over anything because they're all controlled by the same exactly. It, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's why I don't trust anybody in government who doesn't advocate self reliance and local um, collaboration to mm-hmm. get things done. You know, it, when they advocate counting on them to get things done, you know that they're full of shit. So would you be in support of completely abolishing the government? The federal, yes, the government should be voluntary and local. Voluntary and local, that's all globally. And that will happen um, because it's logical and we can demonstrate and we will continue to demonstrate that that's, especially when you can create local productivity, local food, water, and energy. Um, the rest, entertainment, all that stuff will just come naturally. Mm-hmm. Man, I've been saying that for years, you know? Because like when, I, when I answer those two questions about the anarchy and the chaos stuff, my answer has always been, like, if somebody needs to build a road, they can build a freaking road. Yeah. You get some people together and you build a road, you build a bridge, you create a group of people that do the job that needs yeah. to be done. And then when it's done, either you go do it somewhere else or you disperse and do something else, you know. But, but there doesn't have to be somebody controlling these activities. No. There is absolutely no need for it at all. And as far as, like, people running around killing each other, that's not going to happen either. Be- especially because we all want the same thing. Yes. I mean – now I'm going to go kill somebody because now it's legal. Like what? That's just freaking insane. Like we want as our basis, we want joy. We want love. We want companionship. That's what brings us the most value in life. Yeah. That's all part of the narrative, part of the control psyop that's been governing our mentes. Yeah. Um, 
So what substances do you think that are out there that are the most harmful to people that they're consuming? Well, okay. In the water, fluoride. It calcifies a pineal gland. Yeah, it messes with all of them. It's, it, it has many other negative effects, and that, that's the one that I understand the most about. The pineal gland is our creative DMT. It's where we get visions of what's possible from, mm -hmm. right? And it also dumbs us down and makes us more like sheeple so we can be more controlled. Uh, glyphosate and the poisons that they're putting in the soil. The silver is a dioxide that they're spraying in the skies and creating these um, chemical trails that it's, I don't know if you've seen the dimming, mm -hmm. um, but when they're dimming out the sun to have less, everything they're doing, it's, it, the truth is in the opposite of what they're doing. If they say that this is happening, then it's probably the exact opposite that's truly happening or they're making it happen. And it's all a problem, reaction, solution. They'll, they'll shine a light on and create a problem and then use their media, which is the, the glue that holds this whole psyop together, is their control of the media. And by the way, I was at, uh, James Corbett did a really good class um, on mass media. And I was one of the attendees of his class and he laid it out in so epic James Corbett detail. Um, about when they started controlling the media. And this has always been the case. Rulers always wanted to control the media. But specifically about 100 years ago, J.P. Morgan got together a bunch of groups and they said, let's commission a study to find out the most influential newspapers in the United States. They ended up buying 75 or so of the top 120 newspapers for one reason, to control the narrative. Hmm. Oh, yeah, there's the government, there's the media, then there's you. <laughs> That's yeah. All there yeah. Is. yeah. So so to turn our to turn our energy towards freedom is is how we obtain freedom voluntarily in inspired action. No force, no violence. Let's just do what's best for us for selfish reasons that also happens to be good for our neighbors in our world. Hmm. Um are there any foods out there that people should not consume? I mean, like, like what is your take like on like fast food and things like that. You, you think people uh, should yeah. should not be consuming that crap? So I like to talk about it in terms of convenience. People think that it's convenient to go get um, a fast food restaurant, drive through, you eat it. No, don't get me wrong. I understand the taste. It's been maybe 15 years since I've had a Mac and Don's, but I love the taste when I used to have them. It sucks, but then man. I would feel shitty within minutes I noticed my energy go down. So was it convenient? Did I really save 30 or 40 minutes or did I actually lose a couple hours of that day of feeling good? And because nothing tastes as good as feeling good feels. Right? And so when I started making a direct connection between eating this poison and it is poison or, or eating this, and then feeling the feeling I had afterwards, noticing my raised vibration, then it became no effort. And this is where people, it helps people to, to realize having a healthy diet mm -hmm. is no effort when you understand the link between what you're consuming and how you feel. Hmm. I, I can't, somebody could offer me a Coke, I could be super thirsty and I wouldn't drink it because I know that that would have a negative effect and not a positive effect. Right. Yeah, I won't drink Coke either. I haven't drank it in years. Um, 
you know, one of the things that what what is your take on like, like you mentioned eat, eating? You know, we're, we're talking about eating and getting healthy and getting food that's natural. One of the things that really pisses me off is the price of organic food. Yeah. You know, like if I go to if I do my grocery shopping at Whole Foods, I'm spending a thousand bucks for a week's worth of food. Yeah, that's bullshit. It's bullshit, but you consider the price of the other stuff is far greater, right? Because the price is to your life. It's literally taking mm -hmm. years off of your life where the other food is adding years to your life. Now, I don't trust organic at all. The same guy who was in charge of freaking Monsanto is now in charge of the FDA, I believe, or one of those. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, don't trust that. The best thing to do is just local farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. If you're at any of the big stores that are controlled by Amazon or any of these things, don't trust them. Why would you? Go to the places where you can talk to somebody, the grower, support local, and better yet, turn your backyard or half of it into a food forest that's that's the solution to all of it including the, the odds of you getting cancer and diabetes and heart disease it's such a neat thing right so so your way of eating healthy could actually be cost effective Radically if not free <laughs> oh free and more than free you can turn any food forest it's a stack of functions so you've got a food forest not only are you gonna have food security and save a shitload of money the roi Let's just take one peach tree. Let's say you spend $200 getting a peach tree in mm -hmm. the ground, right? And all done up with mulch and good soil and all that stuff. And let's say it's um, a two-year-old peach tree. Within a year, you're producing five or six fruit. Within two years, you're producing like 20 or 30. By the time you're at year four, you've gotten 100% ROI on your investment. And every year after that, you get 100%. Plus, you have the opportunity to have the taste and the nutrient density that comes with a vine or tree ripened fruit. So it's literally, there, I can't think of a better investment that has been proven over time than growing food. Right. And then you can also do other things with it. You can, yes, you can yes. can it, whatever, jar, you know, put it in jars, make jelly yeah. uh, and different things. Yeah, yeah. And, and either trade it for other foods with other people yeah. that are doing the same thing that you are or, yeah. exactly. or make some extra and cash. Totally. And like you've heard of pruning fruit trees, I bet, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, when they prune a fruit tree, they'll cut off a branch and throw it on the ground or whatever. And they prune the fruit tree, which creates more yield. But if you go out like uh, two, three months ahead of time and you cut a little notch around that tree and you put um, some a tennis ball with rooting compound and soil in there, and you wrap it tight, then you go out and prune. That just took five minutes, let's say. Now you go out and prune three months later, and now you've got a new baby fruit tree. Now, and, and now that's worth 20 bucks. You could do that every tree, you could have 10 branches. Mm -hmm. So now you just spent two hours, you made 200 bucks on top of increasing your yield. Hmm. That's pretty cool. You know, you know. Earlier, I just thought, came baby. It's switching again. I go back and forth. But you mentioned the pineal gland and the fluoride and stuff like that. I had a guest on, and, and I believe he does. There's a technique called sun gazing yeah. that actually helps <laughs> decalcify that gland. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Have you ever tried it? Oh God, yeah. Yesterday, I was out in the lake. Um, after the kind of mushrooms are kind of subsiding that feeling and just seeing the golden sun going into the horizon. Um, 
everything's in question. Everything that we've been taught by the schools, which are run by the governments, I question now because of how many lies that have been proven, right? This idea of looking at the sun, um, I think at sunset, uh, this is just me, but I look at the sun very directly at sunset and I feel better for it. That's my gauge as to if something is lifting me up or putting me down is how do I feel? The, the emotions, the energy in motion, that's the compass that I use mm -hmm. to determine whether something is true or false. Does it lift up my spirit or does it push down my spirit? I love sun gazing. I do too. Nothing really boosts my mood more than, you know, being outside in the sunlight or, or you know, taking a glance at the sun. It's just, it's yeah. just an instant lift, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> you know, and that kind of shows too that we're not much different than the plants that we're eating, because right. they need that too. Yeah. If they need it, we need it. Yeah, for sure. And so many people are sick around the world because they're hiding from the sun, and they're putting poisons all over their body, chemicals that are carcinogenic, in order to stop the sun, which they say is carcinogenic. What the? <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. But when you start understanding who they are and why they're saying all this thing they're saying, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so before we wrap this up, what is the where's the best place to find your information? And, and what do you plan on doing next? So um, foodforestabundance.com. Um, I mentioned we launched eight months ago. We are scaling globally very fast by providing a service that's beneficial on every level. Mm -hmm. Our cooperative business model is very well designed, and we are here to serve the cooperative. We earn 7 or 12% of the gross sales. So if an average food forest install is, let's say, $15,000, which is, by the way, a lot, a lot of food, then the owner of the cooperative is going to walk away with about five or $6,000, depending on if they also do the labor or if they run the crew, then they can have multiple crews going at one time. It's the biggest opportunity in the history of humanity to transition from radically unsustainable and dying society to a radically abundant society. Um, we've got a TV show pilot with the producer of the crocodile hunter and uh, adrian from entourage that just came together and mm -hmm. then we're gonna um go to market with that and maybe sell it to, to one of the big stores or somebody else um, we've got a documentary being done and we've got stage appearances all over now so we are radically catalyzing a shift in consciousness that is going to lead to mass adoption of this most logical idea and that is food force everywhere Interesting. One last question. Global warming. Yeah. Would, would people do this? Will it help reverse global warming or is just global warming something natural? Um, so there's many people that I trust who are not funded by the same people who are funding that narrative that are saying that we are in what's called a grand solar minimum. Either way, I'm not a climate scientist. What I know for sure is whether you believe in global warming, climate change or the grand solar minimum having local food production will reduce the resource use that is going on to the max when we can turn our food supply like i said into 150 feet over 1500 miles then we solve all of it 
That's, <laughs> that's, that, that is true. If the food is actually coming from where you actually live, that energy is being used and burned to transport that food. Yeah. And no poisons. The poisons are the worst thing. It's the poisons and the poison producers mm -hmm. that we need to expose and to stop funding, stop putting our energy into those systems. Do you think they're purposely killing bees? I think they're purposely killing the planet. Um, this is one of the toughest things for me to understand. A buddy of mine who's been studying this longer than me, he said, Jim, they want death. And I said, no, they don't. That would kill them. And it reminded me of the story of the scorpion and the frog, right? When the right. scorpion says, can I ride your back and cross the river? And the frog says, no, you'll kill me. And the scorpion says, if I kill you, I'll die too. And the frog says, hmm, that makes sense. Okay, jump on my back. Halfway across the river, scorpion stings the frog. They're going down. The frog said, why'd you sting me? You're going to die too. He said, I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. <laughs> These are scorpions. They're parasites at every level. And I don't mean to put the scorpion in that light. I like scorpions compared to these people. Mm -hmm. um, but so to understand, to be overstand that, to be aware of that, and just to choose wisely, that's the direction that we are advocating. You ever consider that maybe these people are colonizing off planet? Yeah, I've heard all those theories and I don't disregard any of them. They're all possible. I mean, we've got the mark of the beast stuff. We've got the alien stuff. Now the governments are saying there's aliens. We've got crazy billionaires that are controlling seeds. And I mean, what's not possible at this point? I, I don't know for sure. I just know one thing is we are spirit living a divine experience called life. And that's, that's helped me when I look at the pain and suffering and the kids and all these things that I can start bawling. I step back, I take a deep breath and I say, wait a minute, there's no amount of sadness or fear or rage that I can experience that can help anybody do anything. So what do I intend and strategically bring to the world is this feeling of love and joy and solutions. Awesome. Well, this is a fantastic, enlightening interview. Thanks for coming on today. Ah, thank you, Gary, man. I really appreciate your questions and your energy and everything about you. Groovy, man. Well, hang on for one more moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. It's the only 